0: Good morning, Five Stones family. Hi, I'm Eugene. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome. Yeah, as John mentioned, I'm delighted to be here today and to be able to share a message. It's my blessing to be able to share with you. So I hope everybody enjoyed uh, an extended summer this year. We just had to change the weather. We thought the rain would have come when P&E starts, and it didn't come. We thought the rain would have come in September and it didn't come. We thought for sure the rain would come on Thanksgiving and it didn't come. (laughs) But it finally did on Friday, right? (laughs) And a lot more rain is forecast in the coming week. So we can always be confident that the rain will come in Vancouver. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, we're going to continue on our sermon series on the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. I title it today, uh, is Doing What Matters Most, and the title today is The Time for Grace. Pastor John shared last week on 2 uh, Peter 3. It talks about Peter warning the church about the scoffers, people who are telling us that, well, just live for the moment. Jesus is not coming back. In today's passage, we'll continue as Peter is writes about God's timing, about the last days. And we'll look at a number of different Bible verses. So come on the bus and strap on the seatbelt, okay? <laughs> All right. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heaven will disappear with a roar, and elements, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live a holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of of God, and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, 2 Peter 3, 8-13. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gathering in your house of prayer and the house of worship, Lord. We thank you for bringing us into a new season. We ask that your Holy Spirit would just give us a, a fresh connection with you, Lord that the word this morning will connect into our our hearts and change the way how we look at our world. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us. Help me this morning as I share your word, that the Spirit will speak through me, that you help us with understanding of your word, Lord. We thank you. We praise you for this wonderful day in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to talk about is time and motion. Peter says that, do not forget this one thing, dear friend. The Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Peter here is actually quoting from Psalm Psalm 90, verse 4, which is written by Moses, looking at how life and how short life is in, in light of eternity. In, in, Psalm, uh, sorry, in Psalm 90, verse 4, it says, that For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. So Peter is reminding the believer that they should know this, that a thousand years in, your, in God's sight is only like a day that has gone by. A dou- time may be moving too fast or too slow depending on your perspective. What feels like a long, long, long time could be just a flash in time for someone else. You may remember, for those of you, Pastor Rich has shared in the past about his experience waiting in line at Tim Horton, waiting for the service that seems like eternity. But for that frantic front counter worker who is taking everybody's order, that just wasn't enough time. And say for our NHL hockey team who is leading on the final minute of play by one goal, that time will be feels like a long, long, long time. But for the other team trying to tie up the game, that last minute is just running too fast. And yes, my wife, she's downstairs, but she'll tell you that my morning sermon will feel like a thousand years. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But what is The value of time to you. Many, many years ago in uh, another church we were at a cell meeting and an exacerbated young single mom, she was struggling with shift work and raising two rambunctious children and she shared that, oh how I wish that my kids are grown up so I don't have to juggle with so many things. And that reality really pierced my heart because you know, the time that we have with our young children is so short but with the pressure that mom was going through, she was, w- it was so overwhelming that she was ready to give up that precious time so that she can get to the finish line or get to a, uh, some relief or rep- a reprieve. we reprieve. It's understandable that our daily struggle can sometimes ca- cause us to lose focus and what is really matters most, and what is really the important part on our, in our lives. And Peter here is reminding us that we are living in the latter days, the latter days in Christ, sometimes called the age of the church, and we cannot lose focus in life's priorities and our own purpose. Now, every one of us, we have... 24 hours a day. We are 365 days a year unless the Lord calls us home. So we create time charts, we have schedules, we have timetables. In the back of your Bibles, there are probably some time charts to explain the history. We live under the t- constraint of time. But God stands above time, he, He's not bounded by timetables and timelines he looks at us, he looks at life in light of eternity a millennium will look like a day and a day will look like a millennium. I'm not a scientist so I'm just kind of googling this stuff (laughs) but according to this guy named Albert Einstein the theory of special relativity time and space is relative so no mass nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. So, sorry Captain Kirk, we cannot get to warp speed. (laughs) But if you can travel faster and faster and faster and closer to the speed of light, time would actually slow down. We see and we feel everything in three dimensions, but we actually move in four dimensions. So when, well when we get up in the morning, we go downstairs and make a cup of coffee. We feel that we're moving in three dimensions. We're going from our bedroom down to the kitchen and, and make that coffee. But we're actually moving in four dimensions because not just going downstairs to make the coffee, we're al- also moving from 6 a.m. to 6 15 a.m. Our complete motion moves in four dimensions. But at the speed of light, if we can get to that fast, all our motions would be all wrapped up trying to get us to travel at that maximum speed. There would be none, no other motion available to help us to move through time. So that's why at the speed of light, time actually s- stands still. So what does all this trivia mean, a little scientific trivia? Let's go back to the Apostle John. He writes in the Gospel of John that Jesus is light. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, John 8, 12. And in the book of 1 John, we are to live in the light, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, purify us from all sin. 1 John 1, 5-7 Jesus is the light. He radiates light. Remember when Paul was on the road to, to Damascus? he encountered Jesus as the blinding light. He was blinded by the light. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration radiated light. And in the book of Revelation, in the end, in chapter 21 and 23, God will radiate light. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the light. And our own limited scientific knowledge tells us that Time is static to God. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God sees the past, present, and the future in all in the same glance. So, when the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sins it is for not just today, but it's for eternity. When we walk in the light as He is in the light, we're in fellowship with Christ. So it is indeed better one day in his court than a thousand years elsewhere, because that one thousand years is really meaningless. And Jesus called as in Matthew five fourteen to be the light to the world, a light like that really transcends time. The year of the Lord's favor, it says in verse nine, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient w- with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In verse 9. In the Bible, we read about stories of people who didn't want to wait for God. They take action by themselves. In, the old, in Je- Genesis, Abraham decided to take matter to his own hand, and he had a child with Hagar. In First Samuel, King Saul decided to take matter into own hand and offer sacrifice and not wait for the prophet Samuel to do so. We are impatient people. And Christians are t- probably impatient too. We make predictions about Jesus' second coming. And we point to, you know, events, disruptions like wars or earthquakes, unrest, in the Middle East. Or remember the Y2K computer crisis back in 2000? And then we will start declaring, oh Jesus will return soon and some will go f- much further and try to make some dubious calculations and say yeah, Jesus will return in this time or this year and they all come and pass. We do know that Jesus is coming soon but how do we define soon? Does God do find soon based on our understanding of soon? Friends, we are living in the latter days. But the latter days began 2,000 years ago when the angel announced to the shepherds glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom your fav- the favour, his favor rests in Luke 2.14. Jesus came in human form as the Lamb of God. He announced the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Then he went to the cross, died, and resurrected. And he ascended to heaven. But the kingdom continues throughout history, throughout church history. And this crescendo is constantly building up. The Bible compares God's latter days to a Jewish marriage process. Here's a little graphic to maybe try to kind of illustrate that. The first part is the inauguration. This is the the betrothal, the engagement process, the first coming of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. The middle part is the continuation where the bridegroom goes off to uh, prepare a place at the Father's house. And this is from Jesus' ascension to his second coming and sometimes called the age of the church. And then the final consummation, the return of the bridegroom to receive the bride, to bring her to the wedding feast and the marriage consummation. This is the second coming, which includes the day of the Lord, of vengeance, judgment, and then the new heaven and the new earth. So we're in this middle period, this continuation, the latter day, the age of the church, the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, as in Psalm 103, verse 8. The Father is waiting for the particles to come home. And because of God's grace, this grace period, the period of Lord's favor, more and more people are coming to repentance. More and more people are coming to salvation in Christ Jesus on a daily basis. We, we hear of stories of people, amazing story of people coming to faith in places like Asia, Africa, Middle East under very, very unlikely circumstances and situations, often under persecution. Before COVID, uh, I had the opportunity with a couple of folks here in Five Stones to visit uh, Nazareth. Uh, we went to this uh first century synagogue. And our tour guide, who happens to be a Jewish mess- messianic pastor he stood in front of the synagogue and unrolled a scroll and he demonstrated Jesus reading the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4:18 to 20 the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom f- for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it to the attendant and sat down in Luke 4, 18 to 20. Every time I, I, I hear this read or when I read this part of scripture, I get, I get the goosebumps. Because on that day, 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, Jesus proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, the year of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor that we are living in today. Our Father is patient. He's waiting for us to particle all people, Jews and Gentiles, to come to him, to repent and come back to him through Christ Jesus. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. But does God wait for everyone to be saved before Christ's return? This is an area I have to tread very carefully because it touches on the doctrine of elect and predestination, which we don't have time to get into today. (laughs) And better yet, maybe I'll leave it to Pastor John or Pastor Andrew or maybe Alex to touch on sometime in the future. (laughs) But all I can say today is that God sees the tragedy of sin. And he's grieved by it. He's anger. He's grieved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And he takes no pleasure in anyone's that is his tr- true feeling to his creation, which was created perfect in the p- first place. But sin has entered our world. So God has to send his son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross and we are redeemed by his grace through faith in Christ. But God also respects our free will. He respects everyone's free will and he's grieved by those who reject him and turn away from him. The prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 18, 32, that for I take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. In Ezekiel 33, 11, he says that I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not want anyone to fall away from him. So that leads us to the day of the Lord, vengeance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heaven will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will lay bare. God is patient, but he does have a timeline. And this earth, as we know it, will pass away. We don't know that timeline. Nobody knows. Jesus said it. Even he did not know when he came in human form. Even he does not know the hour and time the Father has set. He does know now. Certainly not those folks on the Internet doing all that prediction. But one day God will say, enough time. Peter said that the day of the Lord would come like a thief. And what does a thief do? It comes when you are least expected. In First Thessalonians 5 1 to 3, Paul also wrote that, Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not know need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, and as and labor pain on a pregnant woman. As I mentioned earlier about Jesus reading the book of Isaiah 61 in Luke 4, it says that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it to the attendant and sat down. Luke 4, 18 to 20. I did the underlining myself. He rolled up the scroll. That's a very powerful phrase that normally you won't highlight in your Bible. Why did he roll up the scroll? You know, he hasn't finished reading the book of Isaiah. He hasn't finished the s- rest of the sentence. If you go back to Isaiah 61 verse 2, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Isaiah was giving us a complete picture. He's telling the Israelite, this is the future, the full full picture of what's coming. Why did Jesus stop in mid-sentence that day when he was reading it in the synagogue to proclaim the the mandate of his first coming? To preach the good news? Proclaim freedom for the prisoners? Give sight to those of us who are spiritually blind? Release the oppressed and proclaimed that the year of the Lord, Lord's favor. He put a period in between that sentence. And we are living in that thought, in that period right now. The age of the church to continue their kingdom is coming. It's continuing. So Peter reminds us that the day of the Lord's vengeance will come and it will come with destruction of heaven by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. I'm not here today (laughs) to preach fire and brimstone, but that day, that scroll that Jesus rolled up in Nazareth that day will be reopened, as noted in the book of Revelation. God's judgment will be unleashed. In Revelation one of the elders tells John, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Only Jesus, the lamb that was slain, will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's the only one that's worthy to reopen that scroll. He will finish reading that book of Isaiah on the day of the Lord. So f- friends, we are living in a period of grace. Our world is living in a period of ignorance. Remember Paul on, in Athens when he was walking on Mars Hill looking at all the different Greek gods that the, the Greeks were worshipping and he pointed them to the unknown one true God. We as a church... Uh, to point our will to the one true God. We are living in this period of grace. How then should we live? Peter tells us in verse 11 to 13, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and the speed of is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heaven by fire. The elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Verse 11 to 13. Peter encouraged us to holy living. We're living in a world that draws us in in the ways of the world. Often, pulling us in gradually a little bit at a time. It's kind of like a carbon monoxide leak in your home when you're sleeping. It kind of hits you until it's too late and hopefully you have a detector to to wake you up. (laughs) There's a song uh, called Brave by Nicole Northman. It has a really uh, powerful warning message. It says, the gate is wide and the road is paved with moderation. The crowd is kind and quick to pull you in. Welcome to the middle ground. Walking with Jesus is not about walking in the middle ground where it's safe. Walking as Jesus is to walk through the narrow gates, and he said that only few will find it. So Peter encouraged the early believers, and he's encouraging us to walk and enters through the narrow gates, a road that leads to life and holiness. And he knows, the early believers know, what the narrow gates look like. They were basically, the early Jewish Christians were ostracized from their community. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They were no longer invited to the family weddings or the bar mitzvah. They were treated as outcasts and later persecuted by the Romans as well. So according to church history and tradition, Peter and all the disciples, except Judas and, and John, were all martyred for their faith. Holy living is establishing God's truth in our lives. What is in the center of our lives? What takes up our time, our finances, our hobbies, our pursuit? Where is God in the midst of that? Those are not bad things, but where is God in the midst of those things? Do we love God with all our hearts, our soul, our minds? Are we growing in faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love, as mentioned in Second Peter chapter one. Are we doing what matters most? I have to preach this to myself. I have to f- try to find answer for myself as well. Holy living is also not about isolating ourselves in the world, or like moving into a monastery and shutting the blinds. We don't want to check out of our community and wait for the second coming. <laughs> we have to inter- engage our community engage our culture, be light to the world. Remember when the Israelites were in in exile in Babylon, they were lamenting, they were saying, by the river of Babylon, that they cannot sing the Lord's song in this strange land. And what did God tell them through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29? Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Ha, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Jeremiah 29, 7. God had a mandate for the exile. God has a mandate for us. Yeah. He has a plan for the Israelite a plan to prosper them. He has a timetable. And we are pilgrims as well in this present world. This is not our final home. Right. Peter reminds us that the Jesus' c- second coming will come. It's come as sure as his first coming. So we're not to pack our bags or a suitcase and wait for uh, the noon checkout at the hotel. We're called to roll up our sleeves and start doing what matters most and seek the prosperity of the city. There's much work to be done today. We have to engage our community. Our checkout time is in all God's timing. Holy living requires to keep an eye on Jesus and the second coming, but also acknowledge that we live in a fallen world. We face challenges. We face trials every day around us. And our world is full of deception and fear. The spiritual enemy is at the gate. So we need to encourage and build up each other in as a body of Christ. We're in San Diego, uh, just west of the International Airport, there's an t- area called Liberty Station. It's full of trendy restaurant, bistro, public markets, art, studio, a park, shops, and condos. The area used to be the, the U.S. Naval Training Center, uh, kind of like a boot camp for sailors. And scenes of the original Top Gun movie was filmed there, too, when Tom Cruise was wearing his motorcycle in front of Charlie. <laughs> but in the middle of the district, it they have the old command center that they converted into a museum. And in the mi- middle of the museum there's a display dedicated to a fellow named Admiral, Vice Admiral James Stockdale and his wife Sybil. See, John S- James Stockdale was a naval Top Gun pilot uh, flying off aircraft carriers in the Vietnam War. In 1965 he was shot down over North Vietnam, and became a prisoner of war in the infamous POW camp that was nicknamed the Hanoi Hilton. In his eight years of imprisonment, it included torture. He was being chained. Four years of his imprisonment was in solitary confinement, and there was psychological warfare as well. He was a captain back then. He was also the highest ranking prisoner in that prison in the Hanoi Hilton. So he also shouldered the responsibility of command for his fellow prisoner. He created a system to help increase the chances of his fellow prisoner to survive the ordeal. He devised a system of communication because they were in isolation so they they used coded message to c- communicate with each other. He set up a system to help his prisoner to, to cope with torture actually. So after, s- nobody can sustain continuous torture, so he set up a system that after so many minutes of torture, you gives out certain type of information. He was finally released in 1973 and he later received a Congressional Medal of Honor. In the business book called Good to Great by a guy named Jim Collins, he asked Stockdale how did he cope with his prison ordeal when everything looked so bleak? And Stockdale said, well, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail at the end and turn this experience into a defining event of my life. Stockdale never lost hope that he would he never lost hope of the end game of this ordeal. Then the book author asked him, who did not make it out? And Stockdale replied, well, tha- that's easy, the optimists. See, these optimists were the one that say, well, we'll be released by Christmas, and then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they would say, well, we'll be released by Easter, and Easter will come and go. And then they would say, well, Thanksgiving then. Thanksgiving will come and go, and then go through Christmas again. And these people would eventually die of a broken heart. The lesson is now coined in that textbook, The Good to Great, called this duality of Stockdale paradox. You must never confuse the faith that you will prevail at the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the brutal fact of your current reality, whatever that may be. So, in this good to great book, he says that leadership does not begin with just a vision. It begins with getting people to confront the reality and act on those implications. Peter is telling us we should never lose sight of our end game as a redeemed people. Our destiny is secure in Christ Jesus, we have a bright future but we need to confront the reality of our everyday life. We live in a broken world. We have to acknowledge these difficulties and challenges but be grounded in the truth of God's Word. Be in prayer. Jesus commands us to pray for one another, our families, our friends, our co-workers, and our enemies. We have to choose to be a holy people. And Peter also reminds us of God's power. Our heaven, our God in heaven, knows earth history all the days of our lives. He sees the whole picture. He is the alpha. He's the omega. He's the author of time. Our Father loves us immensely. He's also just. We sang about that in the song earlier. So he brings reconcil- reconciliation through Christ Jesus. So if we surrender ourselves to him, we can be certain that He that we are presently and eternally secure in His care. The world is indeed heading into a rough and bumpy and hairy future. But whatever trial may come, God has permitted it. He's sovereign any pain and suffering that we go through in our daily lives is not pointless. It says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things God works for the goods of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So friends, we don't want to take this precious peer of grace for granted. Jesus said in that synagogue, He proclaimed God's favor, God's love, His grace, and His mercy for each and every one of us here today. Jesus demonstrated that love by willingly going to the cross. He hung on the cross for our sins. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Christ has risen. He has taken away the power and the sting of death. We have victory in him. So what we need to do, I'll ask the worship team to come back, but we need to face each day by adjusting our outlook. How we see the world, how we should see the world from God's perspective. Not one day at a time, but in light of eternity. We should not live in fear. Love and fear do not mix. And perfect love drives our fear. So, brother and sister, our future is secure in Christ. Our Father is waiting for his particle to return home. So, let us do what really matters most and be a light in this time of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, Lord. You bring us to a place where we can see and connect with your spirit, Lord. Help us to filter out the noise that we we face in our daily lives. Help us to discern. Help us to be grounded in your word, Lord. We thank you for what you have done on the cross for us, that you redeem us as your people, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Lord. You put us on this place for a purpose. Father, shine your light upon us that we can shine a light to the world around us, Lord. Let us not be complacent, but help us to just stand stand up and hear your call, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give us a security in everything that we do, knowing that we are your redeemed people. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: What Eugene brought today was this subtle pastoral moment of just such sound theology and doctrine. It's such a good reminder of the period that we live in. I love how Eugene brought in that aspect of we're living in the period right now. We're living in that place of grace. We're living in a place where God's grace is poured into the church, right? That we have a responsibility. We have a thing that we need to live out, and that is to live out the grace of God. That church, you are the grace of God right now. You're living in it so that you can give it. You're living through it so that the world will know who he is. And Peter brings this message of urgency. Live everything you have today for him. Eugene did such a great job in just reminding us that we don't know when Jesus will return. You don't know that. You may feel like you have a long time and you need, you have time to figure it out, but the reality is you don't really have that time to figure it out. You have right now to figure it out. You have today to figure it out. You have the present to figure it out. So Peterson is urging the church, figure it out now. Do that now. You get it, church? Do that now. So that when God does come back, that you get to inherit what God has given you. That is such a message of grace. There's so much more. So much more. But Eugene brought a, a solid word and there's, I feel like there's so much that you could miss. So I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your peace. That we as a church get to experience this grace today. That we as a church get to come before you and say, Lord, give us your mercy. Give us your peace. Give us your spirit to help us navigate what we're going through today. And as we navigate, Lord, let us live our life to give glory unto you. Let us live our life as a witness of who you are. Let us live our life authentically, just us being us and you being you. So, Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.